It is overtime, 106.7 The Fan. I'm Denton Day. You can call me D-Day at the Denton Day on the Twitter machine. Before we get to the Caps, a quick update from Capital One Arena. The Wizards crushing the Trailblazers at the moment. 63-45 to with about a minute to go in the first half, but most importantly... Dame Lillard only has 11 points. He's 4 of 12 from the field. Dame has been on an absolute tear as of late. Entering this game, he played Memphis Wednesday, 42 points. Played Atlanta Monday, 42 points. 30 against Toronto last Saturday. And then last Wednesday at 60 against Utah. The guy had been shooting lights out in the month of Uh, January, he's averaging 34 points, shooting 50% from the field and just under 37% from three-point range. He had been electric, and the Wizards defensively right now are doing a great job on Dame Lillard. Brad Beal, 7 of 10 from the field for 16 points. Kristaps has 19. He's 5 of 8. Kristaps has shot 7 free throws already. So that's a good sign for the Wizards. They are ever so close to getting back to 500 and then eventually above 500. They're the hottest team in the NBA right now. We'll keep you posted for the remainder of this hour on that score as they head into halftime up nearly 20 points. Big news for the team they share Cap 1 Arena with. First and foremost, before we get to the Alex Ovechkin dock, the Capitals extended Dylan Strome five years, $25 million this afternoon. That's a huge get. That's a huge keep keeping Dylan Strome around. It's a good, good move, I think, for the Caps. Uh, General Manager Brian McClellan said, Dylan is an intelligent, skilled center, has been a great addition to our organization. We are pleased uh, to sign him to a long-term contract. We feel his skill set is a great fit for our team as he enters the prime years of his career at an important position, end quote. Right now, Strom is on track for what is far and away going to be the best season of his career. He has 36 points through 52 games for the Caps. He's playing really, really well. I think he's really starting to click uh, with the Caps this season. His career high in points was 57. That was all the way back in 2018-2019 where he spent time with both the Blackhawks and then eventually was traded to the Coyotes that year. Now, there was a huge discrepancy. Like He was playing really, really well with the Blackhawks that year, and then once he got traded to Phoenix, there was a huge fall off in points. You know, you're getting adjusted to a new roster. Those sorts of things happened. But at, as the, at the moment, he is on track for what is going to be statistically the best year of his career, and Washington is in a similar position to their counterpart, the Wizards. They're starting to kind of click. They're starting to play really good hockey, and they're climbing out of what would be a wild card position eventually to the top three in the Metropolitan. They're just two points back of the Rangers at the break. All-star festivities set to really take place uh, tonight and ultimately tomorrow. One of the big, I guess you could call this a festivity, is that ESPN has produced and is going to be airing a documentary on Alex Ovechkin. The documentary is entitled Greatness, with obviously the eight in there in the title, as we have been prone to call him the great eight here in this city uh, for going on 20 years. I don't want to make anybody feel old, but Ovechkin has been here in this city for nearly 20 years. 
I am excited for the documentary when I watch it either later on Saturday or on Sunday. The worst thing about this documentary is that ESPN is airing it at like 2 p.m. on a Saturday. I understand that some people might not care about this stuff the way that I care about it, but this is an awful move from ESPN. You are producing a documentary that is going to highlight a player who has very much been one of the faces of your league for 20 years. You are highlighting his chase for a record that when it was set by Wayne Gretzky, many people thought would be decades on decades on decades before it was broken. Now, granted, it has been a little, a few decades, but there was a, there was a real chance that I mean, people were thinking it's 50, 60, 70 years before this record from Wayne Gretzky ultimately ends up getting broken. Alex Ovechkin is going to break it next year. Like, maybe, 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 maybe 2025. But he's likely going to break in 2024. This is highlighting his chase for greatness, featuring a ton of other big names in the documentary. Sidney Crosby, if you watched the trailer for it, it was a great trailer. It was about two minutes. Uh, Sidney Crosby was featured in this. Don't love Sidney Crosby, although he did say something smart today that I want to touch on in just a second. But he's featured in the documentary. Anytime Sidney Crosby is saying good things about Alex Ovechkin, I think we can allow Sidney Crosby to speak most other times. Maybe zip that lip a little bit, bud. But it's featuring a lot of the big stars who are then putting over your other big star in Alex Ovechkin, and you're airing it on a Saturday at 2 p.m. where most people across the nation are going to be doing other things. Now, it's going to be cold here in the district tomorrow, so you maybe won't be out and about the way you normally would be or the way you have been uh, last weekend because last weekend was beautiful outside. So maybe you're more likely to be in your home, but you might find other things to do, binge watch something with your spouse. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what you normally do on a Saturday, but maybe you're at a brewery somewhere. If you're at a brewery, you're not watching the documentary. If you're going to grow the game, which ESPN can now do, they are officially in bed with the NHL. For decades, they weren't, and we saw that in their coverage. They had like two hockey guys. They had two hockey guys. They got like 45 seconds on SportsCenter, and that was about it. But now you're in bed with the NHL. You have an opportunity to put over a huge star in the NHL, and you're airing a documentary at 2 p.m. on a Saturday. Put that thing in prime time. Put that thing in prime time and really start to grow the game of hockey and use Ovechkin as a vessel to get people that maybe are just casual fans to be more interested in some of your biggest storylines. And for the love of God, can you treat the chase when it actually comes closer to it the same way you treat LeBron's chase for Kareem? Now, I know it's not going to be the exact same because ESPN loves themselves some LeBron James. I get that. They're never going to love Alex Ovechkin the same way they love LeBron James. I get that. But you still need to treat it like it's a big deal. You need to flex some things and move some things around to make sure that Alex Ovechkin passing Wayne Gretzky when he does, which would validate the fact that he is, not will be, he is already the greatest goal scorer of all time. Breaking Wayne Gretzky just validates that he will be that, Put that in prime time. Like, really highlight this and make it a big deal. 2 p.m. on a Saturday, not a big deal. 
I'm excited to watch some of the um, the festivities for the All Star stuff. I know Alex Ovechkin is doing the the hardest shot or their trick shot thing. Uh, he's done it in years past, so I'm excited uh, to see that. But I did mention it almost pains me to say this. Like I feel like after the show, I need to take a bath in holy water because I'm praising Sidney Crosby twice in about a four minute span. But Sidney Crosby said something that I very much agree with about the way that the NHL has constructed their postseason. They've gone to the divisions. Nobody focuses on divisions as much as the NHL does. In the NBA, they're essentially non-existent. I know that the Wizards are in the Southeastern Conference or the Southeastern Division in the East, but I only know that because I was a freak when I was growing up and I would always look at the newspaper and read box scores, and the Wizards were always listed in the Southeast Division. So I know they're in the Southeast Division, but outside of the Wizards, I don't give a damn about divisions in the NBA. They matter much more in the NFL, but the way that they matter in the NHL is a bit over the top. The all-star rosters were picked by divisions. When you get to the postseason, it's the top three from each division, and then you kind of get to the wild card, so it's not your traditional you know, eight seeds. I mean, yes, there are eight teams, but it's the first three from this division, first three from this division. So if you're in a weak division and you're just semi-good, you get a boost where if you're that same record in a strong division, you could be on the outside looking in and it doesn't give you the best eight teams. Well, Sidney Crosby got out and was pretty vocal in saying that needs to change. And I agree. I think if you really want to maximize your postseason and you actually want the best, because the postseason should be about the best eight from the Eastern Conference, and the best eight from the Western Conference, just go with the best eight from the Eastern Conference and the best eight from the West. You don't need to jumble everything up with all of the divisions for, I mean, I don't, for the life of me, I have no idea why this began from the jump and then holding to it the way that they are. It, it just does seem a little odd to me. I think there are better ways to do this. And when you have a guy like Crosby who is, He's in one of the faces of the league. Ugh, yuck. But he is, right? Like, he does have influence in this league. If more and more guys kind of call this out and be like, listen, man, like, this is a silly way of doing this. I mean, it saves better matchups for later in the postseason, which is what this should be all about. I remember years ago, the Caps and the Penguins were two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they're playing in the divisional round because they're in the same division rather than saving that matchup for potentially the Eastern Conference Finals, which you would then pit your two biggest stars in Ovechkin and Crosby against one another in the Eastern Conference Finals rather than in the divisional round. Like, it's just simple things where it feels like sometimes the NHL and maybe a quest to be different Maybe it's this business strategy that they have convinced themselves is for the betterment, but it feels like sometimes they shoot themselves in the foot a little bit in terms of what is best for your consumer. Because that should be, at the end of the day, you should be wanting to provide your loyal fans the best content while also reaching out to your casual fans to draw them in to ultimately watch a product. How do you do that? You make things easy to understand, and also you take a documentary about one of your greatest goal scorers, the greatest goal scorer ever, and you put it in prime time. ESPN has like 12 networks, bro. Like 12 networks. You couldn't carve out an hour at 7 p.m. on one of those networks to slap this documentary in. I understand you got college basketball contracts, but you could easily play some chess and get a college basketball game that nobody really cares about if it's not a ranked versus ranked matchup and slap that bad boy on ESPN+. And then take that Ovechkin documentary and put it on national television because now you have a contract with the league. I don't know. 
It just, it seems so simple to me, yet the television network kind of botched it and they kind of butchered it. This is Overtime with Denton Day. You can tweet at me at the Denton Day. You can chime in via the phones, 800-636-1067, 800-636-1067. If you got thoughts on the Ovechkin documentary, trust me, I will take them. I want to know if you're as angry as I am about the damn thing dropping in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday for one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Silly, absolutely silly. But coming up next, we will transition back to the NFL. Are we any closer to getting an offensive coordinator here in Washington? The latest for the Commander's OC search. It comes your way next. It's Denton Day, 106.7 The Fan Overtime. Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. I am Denton Day. Hit me on Twitter at the Denton Day. The Commanders are very much in. I, I I hope the ending process of the offensive coordinator search, but it's more likely the middle of the coordinator search. There's been a lot of people very very upset with one Ron Rivera because he's playing golf right now. He was at the Pebble Beach Pro Am. He was working on his uh, his swing from the tee box, and he's playing with a couple other celebrities instead of hiring an offensive coordinator. I would not expect the offensive coordinator position to be filled until after the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is a huge week. There are a lot of people doing a lot of things. Um, likely that not a lot of guys are going to be taking interviews the week leading up to the Super Bowl. They're doing different appearances, and Oh, by the way, one of the guys that you are hoping to interview is Eric Bieniemy, who is going to be very busy this week. And I think it's important to remember that. If you're the commanders, Eric Bieniemy is a guy that you absolutely want to have a serious sit-down conversation with. How much are you going to pursue other guys if Eric Bieniemy is your top choice at the moment? Is there a potential that you could lose somebody like Pat Shermer? Maybe, but I would feel pretty all right about that. My guess, and I don't want to offend the, the Shermer family, but my guess is that the commanders are top of Pat Shermer's list. He, he doesn't have, a, I'm sure, a slew of other teams that are waiting for his services. So if you want Bien, I mean, he's your option number one, what is another week going to do here? It always fascinates me how people get so upset. Like, I was not upset about Ron Rivera golfing. I don't really care. I don't really care for a number of reasons. But I don't think he absolutely needs to be football, football, football at this specific point in time. Do you want an offensive coordinator? Yes. But answer me this. How big of a difference is hiring an offensive coordinator on Friday, February 3rd versus uh, whenever the February 13th is? I don't have a calendar pull up in front of me. But 10 days from now. How different is it from hiring an offensive coordinator today versus 10 days from now? Not that big of a difference. Not that big of a difference. I mean, maybe maybe if you hired them today on Wednesday, they'd be in the lab. But they likely wouldn't be. It's the offseason. Guys, take a break. The NFL coaching is not this year-long thing that the college coaching cycle is. College coaching is a year-round thing. When you're not coaching, you're recruiting. When you're not recruiting, you're coaching. You're developing game plans. Like It is very much a year-round in college. There is a built-in set of breaks for the NFL. Guys are on a little bit of a break right now. 
I don't really think it's that big of a deal that you don't have an offensive coordinator right this very second. As long as you get the guy that you want, it doesn't really matter to me when you get them. And you look at the list of some of the guys that Washington has interviewed. Pat Shermer's a guy that I named. We know they want to interview Eric Bieniemy. Charles London, who is the Falcons quarterback coach. Thomas Brown, who is a tight end coach and assistant head coach for Los Angeles. Eric Studesville, who is an associate head coach in Miami. And a running back coach, Ken Zambezi, who is familiar with Sam Howe because he was uh, the quarterback coach this year. And then Anthony Lynn was the guy they most recently interviewed. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble if you are very much a pro-Anthony Lynn guy. I would not expect Anthony Lynn to take the coaching job here. I honestly wouldn't even expect Eric Bieniemy to take the coaching job here, but for Bieniemy, it is much more of a win-win situation, whereas for Anthony Lynn, there are some losses he could take here that Eric Bieniemy would not, and I'll tell you what that means. It was not that long ago. It was like two weeks ago that Anthony Lynn said this. This is he, he was he was asked about the 49ers and the organization. Remember, this was a guy that was in Los Angeles. He was the first crack at Justin Herbert, who was this generational guy, right? Like Justin Herbert is dripping with talent. Just ask anybody, and they're gonna tell you the same thing. Justin Herbert, uberly talented. Anthony Lynn was the first guy that had a kick a crack at Justin Herbert. Didn't end up working out that well. He kind of wanted to go with Tyrod Taylor and then was almost forced to go with Justin Herbert. Didn't pan out that well. He fell on the sword. He said this two weeks ago about the San Francisco 49ers. This organization will do whatever it takes to win. I could stop the quote right there. But out of journalistic integrity, I will continue. My point is made in the first sentence, but I will continue because I have journalistic integrity. Resources out the ears, that was different for me compared to what I was going through in L.A. So it's just like, man, this is what it's supposed to be like. I forgot how that felt. So Anthony Lynn praising San Francisco for being run the way an organization is supposed to be run. Now you tell me, if you are in an organization right now, I'm sure they pay him very nice. Maybe not as much as he would get paid if he was an offensive coordinator. Maybe he does want a little bit more responsibility on his plate. But my guess is he's not hating life in San Francisco in terms of the day-to-day life. Why would you come here? Why would you come to this fire pit of an organization where we think the head coach is a sitting duck We are hopeful that new ownership is going to come in and likely clear house in more ways than one. If you are in an organization in San Francisco that will do whatever it takes to win, an organization that is run the way organizations are supposed to be run, something that made you remember what it felt like to coach in the NFL, like why would you leave that to come here? You don't. You don't do that. There's a built-in loss for Anthony Lynn just in taking the job. I'm stunned he even interviewed for the job. But for Biennemi, it's different. Because Anthony Lynn reached the mountaintop. He was a head coach in this league. Biennemi is still attempting to get to that. He is attempting to climb that summit. He'd been offered college head coaching jobs. He said, no, I want to be a head coach 
in the NFL. And for years, he has been through the interview process and he has been on the outside looking in and returned to Kansas City. Eric Bieniemy coming to Washington is a win-win because if it does work out, he was right. Everything that we had thought about Eric Bieniemy, everything that had been said positively about him on social media, ends up being correct, and he has an I told you so. He can look at everybody and say, I can call the plays, because right now in Kansas City, he doesn't, Andy Reid does. And that's been one of the big knocks on him as to why he hasn't gotten a head coaching job. But if it works here in Washington, he can say, I told you so. I told you I can actually call plays. I told you that I can take a young quarterback and turn him into something that gives this organization hope, which is really what we're looking for right now with Sam Howell. And then he can say, I want a head coaching job. Look what I just did. I did it under bad circumstances, and I flourished. I came out of these ashes of an organization, because the commanders are that, and I became a beautiful phoenix. Somebody give me a head coaching job. So he has that potential if it works out in Washington. If it doesn't work out in Washington, this organization is a dumpster fire. He can point at that and say, look, man, like the head coach was a sitting duck. New management. My hands were tied the entire time there. I shouldn't have even done it. It was a bad situation from the jump. If anything, I look like a great soldier for sticking this thing out. It's a win-win for Biennemi. I don't think he comes here. I don't. I think the hope that Eric Biennemi is going to be the offensive coordinator is a false hope. It's likely going to be Zampezi. It's going to be Zampezi or it's going to be Shermer because Ron is a sitting duck. Nobody's going to, no big name is going to stick their head out there to ultimately have it got chopped off because Ron Rivera is not going to be here in 2024. And with that in mind, my guess is that they've already have their ducks in a row to make this hire, whether it be Zambezi or Shermer, and that's why Ron's golfing. The outrage about Ron Rivera golfing was boring. It was kind of weird. I don't know why you were that upset if you were that upset. I mean, ask yourself, were you that upset when Taylor Heineke was chugging beers at a Caps game after a loss? You probably weren't. And why were you not upset that Taylor Heineke was chugging beers at a Caps game after a loss because most people understood he's not going to be the starting quarterback that much longer. You might as well drink in the riches that come with being the commander's starting quarterback while they are available. And you can take that same line of thinking and project it at Ron Rivera. You're not going to be the coach of this team for that much longer. So if being the coach of this team gets you invited to the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, take advantage of it, my man. Enjoy the fruits while they are still ripe and while they are still in front of your face because they will not be there for much longer. Now, Ron might get a coaching job somewhere else as a DC or a consultant the way that some of these other fired coaches get, and he'll be able to go play golf whenever he wants and all of those things, right? But there is something different about being the head coach of one of the more storied franchises in NFL history and then getting to golf with Josh Dumel and Schoolboy Q and Bill Murray, and I still want to know what Ron Rivera won if he spoke to Schoolboy Q and what that conversation was like because that that would be anywhere from 30 seconds to five minutes of just pure mind-melting content. What do those two guys talk about? I have no idea. But also Aaron Rodgers was there. 
What does Aaron Rodgers talk about with anybody? I have no idea. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations, and I get why Ron Rivera was there. Because the truth is, if I was in his position, I would have been there too. It's overtime with Denton Day on 106.7 The Fan. Coming up, a hot take about the Pro Bowl. You're going to think I'm crazy. I promise I'm not. I'll give it to you next. Overtime, 106.7 The Fan. Overtime on 1067 The Fan. I'm Denton Day at the Denton Day on the Twitter machine. I do not care what anybody says. The Pro Bowl games are fun. I didn't watch them last night. They were split into two. So you got some on Thursday. You'll get a couple more on Sunday, I believe, leading up to the flag football game. I didn't watch them live on Thursday, but I watched them this morning prior to doing the morning show. And they were a ton of fun. Like, I understand that people think they're tacky and they're corny, but those people just are boring. They're shaking their fist at the sky. They're likely old, and they don't like fun. Watching offensive linemen attempt to catch balls um, out of the jugs machine is hilarious. And having to catch a ball with multiple footballs in your hand as part of a challenge is awesome. It's skill, like getting to see these guys that you don't normally see in these predicaments showcase that even though they're big fellas, they still got some hands. There are still guys that are athletic. Now, there was an element of uh, the challenges that were like a water balloon toss. That admittedly was kind of silly. All right. Terry McClorman, a great catch in the water balloon toss portion of, I think that game was called the lightning round. Scary Terry made a hell of a catch. The highlight on Thursday was the dodgeball. I love dodgeball. You probably love dodgeball. Everybody, I mean, I don't know if I, that's not true. I definitely know people that don't like dodgeball. And the same type of person just popped into my head as the same type of person uh, to you listening that just popped into your head, right? We don't got to say it out loud, but we can acknowledge the fact that that same kind of person just popped into our heads. But dodgeball is a great game. And taking the quarterbacks out this year, I thought was fun. Now, the broadcast of it, maybe not great. They didn't have enough cameras, different angles. uh, And it was kind of a weird setup with the fans being like right behind one of um, the teams instead of on the sides, which is a much safer place. Because you effectively have one team throwing into the crowd. Now, again, thankfully, no quarterback, so it's not like you had any rocket arms going off here, but some of these guys could sling it. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was the fifth-string quarterback listed on the roster for the San Francisco 49ers, and he was playing. But dodgeball is a fun game. Now, they played it weird. I mean, I mean, Connor, fill me in if I'm missing something here because I'm, I'm going to assume that you at one point in your life have played dodgeball, right? That's a fair assumption. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as a yes. Um, if you've ever played dodgeball, when you catch a ball, one of your teammates comes back in. Like, isn't that a pretty universally recognized rule? For whatever reason, they weren't playing that way. And they said on the broadcast it was like the international dodgeball rule, which I didn't know existed. I mean, silly me for not being up to my international uh, dodgeball games. But So if you caught a dodgeball, if you caught a ball, you didn't get a teammate that came back in. The other guy was just out. Is that? I don't know if that's like a rule that I just missed because we didn't play that in middle school or at summer camp. Summer camp is really when dodgeball went hard because I grew up in a time where you weren't allowed to play in middle school. But 
I just that rule was weird to me. But watching those guys play dodgeball, like I I like watching professional athletes play dodgeball and behave like children. It like humanizes them to me because some of these guys are like these larger than life personalities. Like you look at Miles Garrett as this terrifying human being, but he got out in dodgeball for something silly. I forget. I think it was uh, Max Crosby for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Like, he hip-checked into a ball trying to dodge it the same way that I would because I'm maybe not as nimble as I think that I am. Like, it's those weird things that humanize guys. I will say, in watching all of the events, it was strange to see a precision passing uh, tournament take place with guys like Jared Goff and Tyler Huntley and Geno Smith and, uh, I mean, to an extent, Kirk Cut, like it, it is kind of weird to see those guys take place in the precision passing because I grew up, like the reason I love these things so much is I grew up watching the skills competition. When NFL Network first came out, it was this huge deal in the day household. It was everything that my brother watched, my brother and I watched nonstop. Like we are watching NFL Network 24-7. We shot away from ESPN. We put that on because we loved football. And during the offseason, they would do the reruns of skills competitions from past years in the Pro Bowl. I didn't care all that much about the Pro Bowl game, although I was slightly enamored by the all-star element of it. This is when they were still kind of tackling uh, back in like 2005. But I was I loved the skills competition, like the fastest man or best hands or, or the precision passing. So growing up on that and then kind of seeing it come back in a sense, it is nostalgic for me a little bit. Now, there was no longest drive contest in like 2006. You know, Philip Rivers wasn't putting his backwards hat in and then trying to swing uh, to drive it 320 yards, which I think was the winning drive uh, from one Jordan Poyer of the Buffalo Bills, who crushed, I mean, a moonshot, really. Uh, that wasn't a thing back in the old days. But I love these little quirky games because I think it, it, it shows personality. And it feels like the NFL doesn't do the greatest job of promoting the personality of guys like it does for the superstars. You got a pretty good idea who Brady is, pretty good idea who Mahomes is and Burrow and all these dudes. But like seeing Derek Carr interact, like Derek Carr is funny. He made a joke about him performing in the Raiders facility. If he performed like this in the season, he wouldn't be getting traded. Like that's a funny joke that he made. I didn't know Derek Carr was funny. I knew he preached a little bit, but I didn't know that he was funny. So you learn a lot more about these guys and you learn more about these offensive linemen. I do think that the Pro Bowl games should stick around. Now, the flag football thing, I mean, I guess that's to each their own. I think flag football is exceptionally beneficial for the growing of the game. If you are a if you are a parent of a kid under 11 or 12 years old, put them in flag football. That's how, that's how you learn the skill of the game. You're scared of a football when you're six years old, like you just are. But when you learn flat, like learn how to catch a ball and learn that the ball is not going to kill you when you catch it, you do it in flag football and you learn those skills. And then when you eventually transition to the tackle football, you're in a much better spot. You understand the game. It's not moving as fast. I'm a huge proponent of flag football, especially if you have young children. So the fact that the NFL is doing the flag football, I actually think is beneficial for the long-term health of the game. Now, would I want to see an all-star game where guys get tackled? Yes, but I understand that's just not where the game is anymore. So I actually don't hate the, the flag football thing either, but I love the games because I want to see personality, and I can't wait for the crazy catches. 
right? We're going to get a craziest catch or hardest catch, whatever they call it, and we're going to see some creativity that we haven't seen from guys because you can't see this sort of stuff in an actual football game, and that grows the NFL. I'm telling you, the Pro Bowl games, as silly as you think they are, if you do think that, they actually are beneficial for the long-term health of the NFL and specifically the players and the stars, and the game is driven by its stars. Coming up, we wrap up this this uh, this hour. We wrap up the this edition of Overtime on 106.7. The fan will retouch on the Kyrie stuff, plus an intervention in the CBS booth that you're going to like. It comes your way next. Denton Day, Overtime, 106.7. The fan. Overtime on 106.7. The fan. I am Denton Day at the Denton Day on the Twitter machine. Wrapping this show up, the biggest story of the day nationally has been that Kyrie Irving wants out of Brooklyn. I am vehement in that the Wizards should not trade for Kyrie Irving. It's a bad idea. It does not help the franchise. I know there are a lot of people that want the Bradley Beal contract off of the books. I don't think trading for Kyrie Irving is the way to do that. Kyrie brings... He brings pain to organizations. He leaves organizations worse than how he found that. And I don't think it's worth ditching Bradley Beal's contract, which isn't great, to bring a guy like Kyrie Irving in. By the way, the Wizards in action and the third quarter has been a tough one for him. They went into uh, the half uh, with a huge lead. I mean, they were up 20 towards the end of the half. They went up. They were up huge at halftime, and it is now 92 to 86. So they're still leading the Trailblazers, but Damian Lillard has picked it up a little bit, and Anthony Simmons uh, has really picked it up. He has 24 for the game. Kristaps uh, is 30. Bradley Beal has 25. This has been one of the better Bradley Beal games that we've seen this entire season. When he gets healthy, when he's fully healthy, fully engaged in the offense, this team is good. Like they actually have talent to where they can, they're a fun team to watch. They can get out and run. They have shooters. They have athletes. This is a good basketball team when the team is fully uh, is fully healthy. It just they haven't been fully healthy um, this entire season. It feels like you have Kristaps missing time, and then by the time he comes back, Brad's missing a little bit of time, and it, it's just like doing musical chairs with the lineup. But when you have the the three guys in particular, Kuzma. Uh, Porzingis and Brad healthy. This is I really do think this is a good team. Now Kuzma's only two of seven tonight. You'd like to see him get a, little, a few more shots in there, and zero for four um, from three point range. But I do want to finish uh, with this. There was a report from Andrew Marshand, who does a great job covering the business side uh, of this media game. Uh, there was a report that Tony Romo was sat down for some kind of an intervention. Uh, with, with CBS because Tony Romo is not exactly getting praised the way that he once was when he first started this thing. And I think it's very apparent. One, an intervention is probably not the right term to use in this. I think an intervention is more reserved for like addiction and things of that nature. I don't know if Tony Romo has an addiction uh, in this case, maybe it's just asking for Jim Nance's opinion, which I think is weird because Tony Romo's the guy who should be giving his opinion. This is what happens, though, when you are you are the darling media darling for a very quick second, which Tony Romo was, because he, he came in 
He came in fiery, and he's predicting the plays, and it's something that had never really been done before on television, and certainly not on national television. And people really were attracted to it. It's like, how does this guy know what is coming before it comes? When in reality, across the NFL, there's a lot of guys that could do that. But Tony Romo was the only one doing it on television. And because of that, his star rose tremendously quick. And CBS got into a bidding war with every other company uh, because especially ESPN, because ESPN was trying to bolster their Monday Night Football because ooh, they had a booth in, or a couple of booths in there that were not great. So they paid Tony Romo all of this money, 10 years, $180 million, which is a huge amount of money for a color commentator. And then you start to come back down to earth a little bit, and you realize that some of the stuff that Tony Romo was doing, while it was entertaining, wasn't exactly sustainable. It was more flash in the pan. Nick, it's really easy when you just retire and you're still so connected to to the game and to the people that are coaching and to where they're coaching and the, the personnel, it's so easy when you retire to still be so connected. But as the years go by and you're not as involved with the game as you once were and there's a lot more effort that has to be put in and then you really get your broadcasting chops put to the test on these big games on national television – you start to see some of the cracks in the foundation. You start to see the star was huge, but it was maybe more of a a flash in the pan and not so much as that Tony Romo was just like this great broadcaster. I don't think he's the worst thing that I've ever heard on television. I know there's people that hate Tony Romo on their television. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's the worst thing, though. I want to see him get better. Like, I don't want to see this guy fail. We have seen worse Cowboys in the booth in the past five years, all right? Like, we have. Jason Witten, that experiment did not work. He could be a great human being. I've never met the man. I don't really care. But the, the, the experiment in the booth did not work. But you have Tony Romo, who's getting paid all this money, and it's not working. And then you look at Fox right now, and Greg Olson's about to get kicked out of the booth for Tom Brady, who retired this, this week. Olson's going to do the Super Bowl, and then presumably next season – Tom Brady is going to be the number one broadcaster for Fox. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Tom Brady, but I'm not exactly insanely optimistic to hear Tom Brady call football games. It's not that I don't like Tom Brady, but I realize that some of the jokes that Tom Brady does on social media, it's a lot easier to be funny on social media when you have a team and you can review certain things. Calling a game is tough, man. Like there, There is no way to hide. There's no place to hide when you're calling a football game. It is live action, and you have to be on your toes and firing on all cylinders. And some of the quips and the funny jokes are not going to be as frequent with Tom Brady as they are on social media because it's going to be all Tom Brady. He is going to be left out there. He'll have people in his ear, yeah, but it's not going to be the same. These networks spending all this money to get the biggest-name players instead of developing guys that are actually good is the real problem here. So we can like have fun at the expense of Tony Romo and have this intervention but the problem is he wasn't properly developed. He had the one really good year, and people teased that he was going to be a defensive coordinator, which was, I mean, talk about a ridiculous thing. But whatever. That was then. I don't need to harp on the past, right? But giving him all that money so quickly was the real problem here. So they're going to paint as if Tony Romo is the guy that needs help here. But this was on CBS. You, you kind of sent this dude out to dry, giving him all this money because he was the social media darling. It's... It's almost like you shouldn't run a business based off of the reaction of social media. I mean, what a crazy concept and thought 
uh, that that could be. An update in the Wizards, by the way, end of the third quarter, uh, 94 to 30 is the score. So the Wizards had a huge lead and they no longer have a huge lead. They were outscored uh, by 14 points in that quarter. So their 18 point lead at the half has now been cut to four as they enter the fourth quarter. Um, if you want to hear the call of that game for the fourth quarter, it's on our sister station, the Team 980s. You can hop over there uh, for the fourth quarter as we're set to sign off here uh, in about a minute or two. A lot of great college basketball games uh, coming your way this weekend. The highlight of the weekend is in the Big Ten Conference, Purdue, Indiana. If you're a fan of Maryland basketball, you just saw the Terps beat Indiana. They did so in very impressive fashion. They handled Trace Jackson Davis in a way uh, that most teams have not been able to since Indiana really started clicking. But on the other side, you have Zach Eady for Purdue. And Zach Eady, if you follow college basketball, has been the best player from start to finish this season in college basketball. But what I find to be the most joyous uh, game of the weekend, or maybe the fact that nobody cares about this game is bringing me joy. It's the Tobacco Road rivalry. It's Duke and Carolina, and no one cares. That rivalry at the moment is on life support. Carolina ranked huge at the beginning of the season. They're not ranked. Duke at 16-6, and 7-4 and four in the ACC. Both squads 7-4 and four in the ACC. Neither squad is ranked. They both have new coaches. What was once billed as the best rivalry in all of college sports, better than Michigan-Ohio State in football, better than the Iron Bowl in football, it is now kind of withered away to just a run-of-the-mill game on a Saturday. It's going to be on ESPN, but if you really want to see good basketball, you're going to pay more attention to Indiana-Purdue at 4 p.m. than you do Duke-Carolina at 6.30. It is no longer a game that you're going to seek out. You're going to be flipping through the channels and say, oh, I guess Duke and Carolina's on. Maybe I'll watch a little bit of Duke and North Carolina basketball. Boy, oh boy, how the mighty fall. That's going to do it for me. Big thanks to Rhett Lewis for jumping on and talking some NFL draft with us. Big thanks to my man Connor Perkins doing a great job producing for me. You can hit me up on Twitter at the Denton Day. CBS Sports Radio next on 106.7 The Fan.